Hey there, it's Melissa Brunetti, and welcome to the Mind Your Own Karma podcast. Hey there, Karma Crew. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Mind Your Own Karma, The Adoption Chronicles. Today I have another adoptee story for you. And before I get started, I just am reminded of how different all of our stories can be. Some are good, some are bad, and some are ugly. And how each one of us receives and processes and deals and heals with our stories that is such a personal thing that no one should be judging. Your perception of what has happened to you is your truth. And it doesn't matter how anyone else saw it. Your truth is your truth, period. No matter what anyone else says. And we as adoptees, and not only the adoptee community, but all of society needs to value the adoptee's experience, no matter what it is. You don't have to agree or disagree. You just have to listen. Just listen and be able to validate that person's experience. That's it. That's all you have to do. And with that being said, I want to introduce you to my guest today, Christy Perkins. It was the fall of 1964. Sharon, Christy's biological mother, was 16 years old and was pregnant with Christy. Sharon made her way to a home for unwed mothers while Christy's birth father was in prison. On July 29, 1965, Christy entered the world. At Christy's foster home, she was growing and at two, she was a mama's girl to her foster parent. All was well with the world, but she didn't know that her world, as she knew it, would soon be shattered. Her foster parents called her Big Girl, and when asked, Christy didn't even know her given name, which was Lois on her original birth certificate. Eventually, she was adopted at the age of three to a well-off farmer and his wife, and in that moment, everything changed. Years later, Christy decided to take a DNA test. Six weeks later, when she received her results, something wasn't right. Instead of answers, she had many more questions. Why didn't she match her own niece and nephew that were the grandkids of her father, Larry? Could Larry not be her father? Who is this Kimberly that she matched 25% of her DNA with? She had to know. This is Christy Perkins' adoption story. We are welcoming Christy Perkins to the show today. Hi, Christy. Hello. How are you doing? I'm nervous, I guess. Are you nervous? It's okay. I am a little it's bit. Good. I don't I don't talk to people about being adopted or anything. I guess this is the adopted podcast. It so is. I don't is really the- don't really talk about it to people. Yeah. Well, you're brave. So- you reached out to me and you became part of the Karma Crew on my website and reached out wanting to tell your adoption story. So thanks so much for doing that. Um, so let's start with why did you want to tell your story? It's a personal story, so it doesn't necessarily apply to everybody, but enough people can relate. They don't maybe feel alone. Yeah. When they have things that are missing from the narrative, 
everybody on the outside looking in says, oh, adoption's great. Adoption, adoption's good. And, you know, so it's not necessarily the all that great. Yeah. So you weren't adopted until you were three years old. So tell us what happened. What were the circumstances? What do you know about why you were put up for adoption? Well, I've known all my life I was adopted. But back then in the 60s, when I was born, they just put the man on the uh, uh, birth certificate who they thought was daddy. And well, that's part of my story. I found out recently he was not my biological father. So I've had to go relive a bunch of trauma over that. But um, the story that I just recently found out is the truth, not the lie. I've been living most of my life. So mm. uh, that's the interesting part that so many people lie and we are the victims of those lies, basically. Yeah. Well, I knew my mother was 16 when she had me. I knew that. Mm-hmm. And I was born in the state of Kansas. So in Kansas, when you're of age, you can just call up the social services department and say, give me my records and tell me, you know, open my adoption records. And they mail them to you in a great big old envelope and you can read through all of the information. Oh, wow. you know, it wasn't difficult. So they just said, oh, here's your parents. Here's your, your mother. So I got a phone call like, a week later, from my mother's mother, who didn't believe that she thought it was a scam, that it wasn't really her granddaughter. So she wanted to save her daughter from trauma of some scammers and wanted to see if I was legitimate and started asking me a bunch of questions like, you know, if you're being interviewed by the cops or something, how old are you? And where were you born? And I was like, I answered all her questions sufficient enough for my mother to call me. And I was only 17. So she was 30 something. So you sent for your records when you were 17? Yeah, I did. Oh, wow. And they sent it to you even though you weren't an adult yet. Absolutely. They said I was old enough, whatever. I was a <laughs> few, few months away from 18, you know, just yeah. when the when the child starts seeking, which, which is the first part of my story. Thankfully, the state of Kansas believes that it's not a one-way street. People that adopt the child, it's not a closed adoption. At some point, they open the records. The people that are putting the kid up for adoption uh, can't just walk away forever with, you know, anonymously because I strongly believe that, hey, this is my life too. So give me my information. And I wanted to know everything. I wanted to know what my birth certificate said, who my parents were. Was I? So how come you got a hold of your grandma first and not your mom? She called me. She called me. So the state of Kansas actually went as far as to contact the people they had contact information for. So they said, uh, they called her up and said, hey, your granddaughter wants to meet up. They had my phone number, which I allowed them to give her. And she called me. That was pretty simple. All states are not that way. Right. But uh, (laughs) my mother was 17 and my dad was a Marine stationed in California, but was from Kansas. And he was married and had three other children. Not to your mom though. No. Oh boy. He was from Kansas and him and his wife had a break or a divorce or whatever they did. They separated momentarily long enough for my parents to meet. I was talking to my, my older sister 
She said, probably at the cakewalk at the Catholic church. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. Cause I was born right. literally nine months after nine months later, nine months later, you know, uh, Halloween is, uh, I actually looked and Halloween, <laughs> Halloween was Saturday night. That that's rocking at the Catholic church <laughs> and they did cakewalks. So like, okay, I could just, just imagine how that worked out, but. He was 20 something tall, good looking. She was a cute 16 year old. And he yeah. said, Oh, baby. And she, she said, Oh, <laughs> you're so, you're so tall. My mother was only five foot two. Mm. But I had no knowledge of this growing up. I had no idea. Right. Anything. No one knew anything. Right. They didn't even have an idea of my nationality. They said, oh, she looks Irish. Let's call that Irish. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh state of Kansas was real slow in severing my parents' parental rights. I guess she hooked up with the guy, said it was daddy, and I don't even know if they were married, but uh, he was on my birth certificate. And so when I had my- The Marine was. No, the birth certificate. See, I have several fathers. Let's list them. So there's the biological <laughs> father. Yes. The birth certificate father. Oh boy. The foster father, the adopted father, and the stepfather. I mean, let's just pick one and we'll talk oh about my gosh. any number of fathers in my life. But uh, the birth certificate father was probably not married to my mother. He was 30 something and he was in prison. And so I was really trying to figure out how he could be my father. And then, of course, he wasn't because, gosh, I was like two or three years ago, I decided to do my DNA, which is a big eye opener, especially for adopted people or people mm -hmm. that don't know they're adopted. Yeah. Which is criminal. Yeah. You know, oh, we don't want to hurt anybody. We don't want to get all the skeletons out of the closet, but it, it doesn't matter. That's still information that they're hiding from me or lying about, which right. I don't approve of. But this birth certificate father is. NPC non-player character. He was just mm -hmm. a guy in jail, died in jail that I, I was told was my father. Oh, wow. He was also short, though, and really kind of ugly. So I couldn't really relate to him when I met him. I met him one time. So I was 17. I found my mother. My parents drove me to Topeka, where she was living with Hugh's stepfather. And so I stayed with them a week. And it was a horrible disaster. Oh, no. My mother's a narcissist extraordinaire. Also found out that she was mentally ill. So it was good that I was not raised by her. Mm -hmm. So let's just be clear. My situation could have been worse, but I sure wish I had all the information that should be, you know, they didn't know. They didn't do DNA back then. So they stuck this guy on my birth certificate. So I was... 20, 30 years thinking this dude was my biological father and he was not. Mm. But uh, I didn't know that even when I did the DNA, because all these people that were coming up, not my mother's side, I assume it's my father's side. I assumed it was the birth certificate father side of the family because mm -hmm. I didn't know anybody and nobody could tell me anything. So I just sit on that information for a couple of years. And then a niece who was my birth certificate father's son's daughter contacted me wanting information about the paternal side of the family so i told her what i knew she did dna 
I did DNA, but it wasn't the same company. So I figured mm-hmm. that's why we didn't match yeah. on the, I did Ancestry. She did 23andMe. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought, well, this is weird. So I did 23andMe. It didn't match her then either. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's like being adopted all over again. Okay, now who am I? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. But, uh, you know, I was born July 29th. So my birthday is this week. Yeah, I found my mother. She was 17. I don't know what her relationship was with birth certificate father, but he was in prison. They were together. Uh, she said she got married when she was 14, which is logical because her older, yeah, her know. older sister, come to find out half sister, was also married at 14 just to get out of the house. Big Catholic Irish family and the grandmother, my grandmother, my mother's mother. She didn't raise any of her kids. She was a very active woman who didn't believe in sticking with one man. So <laughs> so my mother was the youngest of 13 children. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was, I don't know, most of my mother's siblings were dead before I met my mother. Or really old. Oh, my gosh. She was the wow. youngest. So. She was 30 while the older ones were in their 50s. Mm-hmm. I was just a kid. But uh, How did you find who your biological dad was then? So when I did the DNA and all these names came up, which I didn't recognize, I finally contacted a genealogy DNA researcher. And somehow they can build on your matches on the ancestry.com right they give you a percentage or some kind of how many matches in the c's m's or whatever they are yep and she constructed a family tree oh wow and traced back to the highest match i had which is 25 percent, which was a half sister oh wow and so she had told me this is your half sister so I kind of freaked out and I didn't know how to contact And That is when my husband did the uh, website. So I had her address and I had her phone number and I was kind of stalking her Facebook page. <laughs> and so she was ill and I didn't want to bug her. And so I thought, how do I contact her without making them think I'm some kind of stalker? Right crazy person or whatever you know you have some person contacting on facebook it's like you don't know what to think about it yeah i just said honey can you do that website for me we can put some pictures up you know and a little bit about my story and he said sure no problem so i sent her a card thinking of you and flowers and in the card i gave her the url for the website <laughs> And they checked it out, which was a lot of calling the siblings and everybody, the cousins, everybody was shocked. Daddy's got a new kid. Right. And the funny thing is they weren't shocked about it because it's like, well, we knew dad couldn't keep in his pants anyway. So we (laughs) we thought, what, there's only one? Up until then, there wasn't any other people contacting them saying, I'm your sibling. And so the one sister that I met was in California where she grew up. Her mom, when my dad and her mom was, you know, living out in California, but then he relocated to 
Olathe, Kansas, and that's where the rest of the siblings live now. So I I was in contact with them, and they kind of, you know, welcomed me into the family. Good, bad, and the ugly. Yeah. It wasn't, it was just like, this is your family now. You don't get to pick another one, like an adoption. So how many <laughs> siblings did you have from your dad then? From my dad, let's see. My oldest sister, Kim, then Kelly. And then there was a brother. His name's Danny Jr. Then my dad and his wife split up, had me, which makes number four. Mm-hmm. And then number five, he went back to his wife and had Cindy. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so my name even is very interesting because they changed my name from what was on my birth certificate. Uh-huh. My mother had named me Lois. What did she name you? Lois. Oh, Lois. Okay. Yeah, that was my birth certificate name. Mm-hmm. But um, when you're adopted, her reasoning was change the name so the evil biological family can't be looking for people with that name and birth date. Right. So to protect me and have no one know my new name, they changed it. To mm-hmm. Christy, it was Lois. And so I was a Lois until I was legally adopted. I wasn't legally adopted until I was five, four and a half. Wow. Were you in foster care till you were three or what happened with that? Well, my mother was in a home for unwed mothers. My birth certificate father was in jail. And so I'm not sure about the circumstances, but she ended up in a home for unwed mothers in Beloit, Kansas. I think it was a mental hospital, to be honest. Because they have a mental hospital there. But, um, so she went to KU Medical Center, had me. Interestingly, I found out probably was a forcep baby because I mm-hmm. finally got a hold of some medical records and said that my face was paralyzed, which is back then uh, a result, a side effect of being mm-hmm. pulled out. She was 16. Right. She was five foot two, so it was yeah. probably a difficult labor for her. Right. Yeah, and I was in the hospital because of that for an extended period of time, and then after I left the hospital, I went straight to the foster home. And you were there till you were three. I was born in July, and I went to my adopted home in December of two and a half years later. So it was almost three two and a half. Mm -hmm. But I remember Mm -hmm. being handed over. They didn't do any transitions. They didn't do any aftercare. I did have a social worker that came to visit once in a while and bring me candy and stuffed bears, which is like, oh, there's that nice lady again. What did you bring me this time? Right. (laughs) About once a month, she would visit until I was about five, I guess. I don't recommend doing that to a two and a half year old. It's very traumatic. Yeah. There was no transition. They just said, okay, there's your mom and dad. See ya. Patted me on the head and said, have a nice life. And Have a nice life, yeah. I know from my adopted parents telling me, yeah, we came to wherever they came to pick me up. I think it was Kansas City. They were at the hotel room and the social workers brought me into the hotel room. And I was just a little tomboy even then. And I was roughhousing with my dad. And having a good time and laughing and playing. And so they said, oh, hey, that looks like a great match there. 
uh, I guess you just take her home. Wow. And my parents stayed in one night at the hotel. Then we drove to Pittsburgh, Kansas. And I remember the car. It was a blue 60-something LTD driving down the main street, looking up through the window, seeing the Christmas lights. Because mm. they draped them from one side of the street to the other side of the street with a big bell or something in the middle. It was like going mm-hmm. through a tunnel. So I just thought that was just amazing. Yeah. So why did your adoptive parents decide to adopt? Because you were two and a half. A lot of people want the baby, you know? Well, that's a whole different story, which gets into the darker side of adoptions. For me, anyway. If there wasn't so much red tape involved, there'd be a lot more children adopted. I mean, it's really difficult to adopt a child in this country. So it took two and a half years for me to get through the red tape. They tried to reunify me to my parents and my father kept going back into prison or some sorts. He was not a good person. Your adoptive dad? My birth certificate father. uh, Yes. They were married, which I haven't seen any records. I tried to find records, but I couldn't. I think they were waiting until my mother turned 18 because she was a minor. They couldn't release a baby to a minor. That's just my theory. But I also was given all of the narratives that the social workers wrote about the situation. They said, well, we're not sure what we want to do with this child and her situation, but we really do need to figure out something soon. I mean, they didn't figure anything out until they finally decided to sever their parental rights and then placed me up for adoption at two. Yeah. If your mom was having mental issues, maybe that's why they didn't, they didn't give you to her if that was really an issue. Well, they didn't mention a lot of mental issues or any evaluations they did on my mother, but my birth certificate father was in prison for indecent liberties with a minor. Mm. So yeah, maybe that's, yeah. I was, I dodged that bullet. Yeah. My mother has a type because my siblings told me that my biological father liked molesting little girls. So they all said I dodged a bullet. So I was like, Mm. well, I'm sorry I missed out on all the fun there. But um, that was great. The great part about being a dick, I guess. But um, my sister, she's been married several times. She never maintains the relationship with a man for more than a year. She's just a broken person. Um, Extremely thankful. I didn't have to go through any of that. Yeah. I mean, it's like pick your poison, right? Bad or badder. Yeah. I mean, what, which one do you want? Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't really, I don't think did a lot of, uh, I don't know what their thinking was, but I know what they did. I know what they said. Some of the things I read on their notes. Yeah. I have a big manila folder of all the notes that they took. They sent all of it. That's crazy. Which I was fascinated. I'm in California, so we get nothing. They kept all that. <laughs> We get nothing. <laughs> oh, my. Well, also, I got nothing because I have two baby pictures. They had a couple in my file, but no one thought to maybe send some baby pictures for mm-hmm. later on for family purposes. So I have like no baby pictures up until I was two and a half. And then my parents took pictures. See, and those little things like that. Well, it's not it's not little to us, but. People just don't think about those things for adoptees like that. No, my parents. But just think about that. You don't have any pictures of you as a baby. That's a big deal. It totally is. Uh, but to answer your question, 
Why did my parents decide to adopt? They were at the time called well-to-do farmers. And my mother Mm -hmm. and father got married, the adopted father and mother. And uh, they worked jobs. My mother was in college. You know, they were living their life. They got married when my mother was 19. And my adopted father was like 20-something. And uh, then my mother's adopted mother's father died. And so they decided to take over the farm. And my grandmother was a widow and he started farming. They had a baby, a little infant boy, about three years before I was born. So that means that they Mm -hmm. were childless for about five years after, uh, I don't know when they submitted an application to adopt, but three years before I was born. They had an infant son and he was born in January and he died in February, the same year uh, from pneumonia. And it was winter and it was a drafty old farmhouse. And my parents were both chain smokers. And I think mm. they just, that house could be filled with smoke. It was like chain smokers lighting one cigarette with another cigarette. So. Um, mm-hmm. When my mother lost that baby, her doctor told her, well, if you just drink a beer every night to calm your nerves, you'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> sure, sure. That's a great remedy for everything, right? Just right. Drink, drink a beer. It's just the, yeah. the doctor's prescription. So mm. my adopted mother was grieving, but eventually they decided they couldn't have any more kids for whatever reason. I believe my mother had endometriosis problems really Mm -hmm. bad. They were lucky to have the one, but never got pregnant again. I know I think she had a lot of miscarriages. She never really talked about it. She never was Mm -hmm. one to talk about anything. So like, we don't talk about that. That's it. Okay. Well, the state of Kansas, they weren't going to just give them anybody. The premium babies were left for other people, apparently. So they were going to give him a trial run with this two and a half year old girl. And they said in the notes, we really felt she needed the attention of being an only child. So on my end, I needed to be an only child from being the center of attention and having lots of siblings and lots of attention to hanging out with old people. Right. And not being the center of attention. And everything I did that was cute, I could do no wrong. You know, they didn't spank me and I never had my hair cut. It was naturally curly, gorgeous, golden, blonde, Shirley Temple locks with Mm. fair skin and cherub little cheeks and blue eyes. And I was a doll and (laughs) everybody oohed and awed over this beautiful baby. And then I get, you know, into their home at two and a half and I was just a brat. So their, Mm. their idea of old fashioned, I will this is very old-fashioned, very traditional farmers. It's, uh, well, you beat the crap out of the kid into submission. Then if they don't like it, beat them some more. Mm. So I went from the center of attention and could do no wrong to hanging out with old people and could do nothing right. Yeah. And that's how my life started being adopted. Mm. So did they adopt another child later on? Much later. I'm pretty sure they wanted to see how things went with this two and a half year old needy child. And if they did really, really good, they would give them their 
what I call their golden child. Well, we'll mm. reward you with your infant son. So they eventually, I was in first grade and a teacher had come up to me and said, oh, aren't you excited about getting a baby brother? I go, uh, that's news to me. Oh, wow. Because we didn't talk about stuff like that. They were just going to surprise me one day, I suppose. I don't know, like getting a new puppy dog, but. Right. So here I am, five and a half, and they bring home this infant son. Their pinnacle of a their family is complete now. Mm-hmm. The boy that could do no wrong, walked on water, shit didn't stink, all that. Wow. So guess what I was? Mm. The opposite. I was the maid. Oh. Because girls, they don't work on the farm. They stay in the kitchen, help their mom. But I wanted to be a farmer. That's all I ever wanted was to hang out with my dad and be in the field and work the cattle. It was a working farm, you know. Mm-hmm. I was allowed to help my grandmother. And she was in charge of the chickens. So I got to go out and gather all the eggs and wash the eggs. Then it was basically uh, help your mother cook dinner, clean the house, take out the trash, whatever they didn't have time to do. Mom's busy. With- Are they still alive? Your adoptive parents? They are all passed away now. All of them. Mm. You have a relationship with your brother? Which one? The one they adopted? Um, No, no, no. He uh, is a narcissist that told everybody that I was adopted and let everybody assume he wasn't. And, uh, you know, they disinherited. Uh, I moved away with my husband when I got married and he stayed and took care of my parents. Then my mother died. And then my dad, who wasn't that smart, felt and was convinced to hand over all of the power of attorney in my dad's finances to my brother and his wife. Mm. So all of the money that my mother had, $50,000 chunks of CDs she had worked for all her entire life, he went and spent at the casino. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And wow. he had my dad sell all the property or hand it over to him. And when, you know, there was anything to inherit, I got some dishes. Oh, wow. Are your birth parents still alive? Nope. They're all dead. Everybody's dead. Everybody is dead. Except for the siblings. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I mean, I talked to a couple of them. Well, I just wanted to know what my uh, genealogy was to know what race I was. So Norwegian, Irish, so that we got that right. Scottish, I'm like 44% Scottish. I found out all this medical history, you know. I mean, medical history is important when you're adopted. I was thinking biological father, his family all had heart disease. And so, <laughs> you know, checking the heart, you know, how's the ticker going, doing checkups, whatever. And no, everybody died from cancer. Oh, wow. So now I got, oh, it's cancer that I'm going to die from. Okay, great. That's good to know. Mm. So all the family is not the heart dying in their 50s from heart attacks or dying in their yeah, 60s from cancer. Right when I did the um, website, the next older sister, Kelly, had been diagnosed with colon cancer. So it's not like I could just have a relationship with these people. They were having their own life, life, right. life issues. Yeah. 
did you see any resemblances in your biological family or, I mean, did you get to, Oh yeah. And how about like personality wise or physically, you know, like how you laugh. Sometimes it's like how you laugh or something. People are like, Oh my gosh, they have my laugh or whatever. Did you notice? Well, you, you grow up and you never have anything to relate to nothing, 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 nothing. Right. So for me to see something that is like, well, that's like me, but I do that. It, it mm-hmm. felt weird. Yeah. Um, so my oldest sister looks and my youngest sister look identical to each other and to their mother. And then in my pictures I put on my website, there's a picture of me and me and my brother could be identical twins. Oh, wow. And then me and my sister, Kelly, I had to just stare at her and watch her talk because <laughs> her teeth were the same as mine. I'm watching oh, her. Wow. Says, I'm sorry. I'm staring at you, but Not weird. you have some jacked up teeth. <laughs> I had braces yeah. and our two front teeth, you know, point in the center. They, you know, like um, your mouth is crowded. We have the same nose and the same, <laughs> the, all the siblings have brown eyes. The older sister, Kim, Danny, and Cindy, and then Kelly and I, Looked just like each other. The nose, oh, wow. the eyes. She had blue eyes, but I'm the only one that has the green eyes. So I was fascinated with that. So what was that like seeing her though? Seeing that? Two years ago, I met them and they invited me to come to Easter dinner. And I was like, oh man, I better wear a diaper. I'm going to be <laughs> pooping my pants. <laughs> and they were all really so welcoming and they were all checking me out it's like oh my gosh you know this is like all these oh my gosh moments right yeah but you know inevitably the new wears off and she was dealing with her cancer and Mm. then the younger sister who had many many years of drug abuse as well well she was doing her own thing too so like I really have a relationship with any of them yeah I don't have the, it can be tough. I don't have the adopted brother. I don't have anything left from that family because he took it all. Um, yeah. And then I never got anything. I don't even have a grave to visit because my biological father was cremated by evil stepmother and Mm. he has the ashes in a box in her closet. Oh, wow. Somewhere. And she's got Alzheimer's now. So, Oh gosh. Who knows yeah. what, what's going to happen to all his stuff. But I did find out one of the most fascinating things to me, little things. Uh, my dad loved turquoise. And that's like mm-hmm. my favorite rock. I have a lot of turquoise. Oh, wow. So I was yeah. like, oh, I got turquoise. I didn't know that my dad gave me that desire to love turquoise, but apparently he did. It's kind of cool. Yeah. It's kind of funny because it's like, because you don't grow up with those siblings it's hard to have that connection even though the biology is there you know when you don't grow up together it's kind of hard to do to make that same connection with uh, as if you grew up with them you know we all need familiarity we are a social creature we can't just be born in a vacuum and raised in the wilderness yeah. with wolves it just doesn't work yeah so you kind of alluded to having some adoption trauma from your adoptive parents how did that show up in your life later on having that trauma? Did you have trouble connecting with people attaching or how did you see that play out later? 
interesting. Well, first of all, um, potty training. Let's just start with that. Let's go back to the day I was in diapers. I was two and a half and mm-hmm. had no desire to <laughs> be swallowed by this water monster thing that people sit on because a little tiny bottom on a great big old toilet <laughs> no it wasn't happening yeah <laughs> no it was going to eat me alive or something i didn't know i was going to go down that <laughs> hole yeah but uh right then you know one of the narratives that the social workers mentioned is my mother wasn't so sure about changing diapers on such a large child because even though my mother was five foot two and birth certificate father was five six I'm almost six foot tall. So their potty training was do it in the toilet or we will spank you. Mm. A lot. And of course, how many times does a toddler go yeah. potty? Right. And you do it in your pain and they clean you up and you get your butt beat. Uh, continuous, continuous. I wasn't potty trained until I decided, well, going to school now. And nobody's going to wipe my butt. I better learn how to do this stuff. Oh, my gosh. I was five. Five? Trained myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. I decided, well, nobody's going to be down there except me. Yeah. So uh, I better get with the program. Right. So I was five, started kindergarten. (laughs) That was traumatic, too, because I had this old crotchety teacher that I don't know. But the, the next school year, she retired. And so um, I probably was not the best student. <laughs> you caused her to retire. <laughs> I have my suspicions, but uh, I was a very, very smart child. And I never did anything that they told me to do. And I would read the book. You know, I, I didn't follow along in class. And when I didn't know where we were in the book, it's like, well, I already read it. Well, then I had to answer questions. It's like, well, I answered all the questions. So, like, oh, can't catch me in, you know, misbehaving there yeah. by learning stuff. Right. You know, can't learn stuff ahead of the class. That's no, no. Yeah. Uh, but I, I had to go to the bathroom when I was in first grade. So I was six. And I said, I had to go. Everybody has to line up. Everybody has to pee at the same time. We don't all have to pee at the same time. Just newsflash. Right. And so I had to pee. Had to do it now. And little six-year-old's bladders are not that big. And so she says, you're going to have to wait. It's not time to go yet. Well, it was for me. But I I let her have it right there by the desk. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Pretty good puddle. <laughs> oh, boy. You probably got in trouble for that at home, too. Oh, yeah, of course. The, oh the the beating was the, the normal thing to do, you know, I don't know, spare the rod, spoil the child or whatever. It was like, I was not spoiled, apparently, not at all. Um, well, yeah, the, the beatings commenced and never stopped. And I was just a very defiant child and very stubborn. Mm. They had to beat it out of me. Didn't work, thank God. Yeah. They wanted to break my spirit. That was their idea of controlling me. Mm-hmm. So my mother one time said, I don't want you to hear me. Oh, wow. Ma, I hated my mother. Mm. She was not a nice person. We never bonded. We never connected. We never yeah. clicked. She didn't know what to do with me. Never did figure it out. And once she got her son, her baby boy, well, then she didn't 
feel the need to connect or click, uh, just go to the dishes. Yeah. How did you deal with your adoption trauma as you got older? Like, did you do anything that helped? I was a runaway. I run away from home. Anything right. could be better than that. But did you do anything that actually helped? <laughs> like therapy oh, or no, something nothing, like that? Nothing at all. Nothing. No, I just convinced myself I wasn't crazy and I was going to make good decisions. Mm. And so, now, mind you, traditional farming community where all the cousins are, they get pregnant at 15, get married and stay married until they die. That's what farmers do. My parents at about 13 started parading all of the eligible bachelor farm <laughs> boys in front of me. I didn't know it at the time, but, you know, that's a, like, we'll see if something oh, click here. We didn't marry this off. Get rid of her. Go be your farm wife over there somewhere. Like everybody else in the family. Yeah. So we felt like, well, I'm not sure that's what I want to do. I think I want to graduate high school. And like I said earlier, I was a very intelligent child. So I graduated early. If you had all your credits, you could graduate early. So I did. And I went to, went to college. Mm -hmm. I just kept busy though. I was told, if you want something, go get a job. So between school and working, you know, paying my bills, I started buying my own clothes and car insurance when I was 16. And so, and I worked in the summertime too, to earn my keep. And the only therapy I had was when they locked me up in a mental hospital for a few weeks. And then my mother was furious with me because I embarrassed her. And so when I got home, I got home from mm. the mental hospital. She was really, really pissed. So she punished me. You know, I hadn't done my chores yet. And I needed to vacuum the rug. Oh, wow. That's a great memory. I'm remembering and dredging up. I haven't mm -hmm. thought about or talked about it a long time. Yeah. So how's life now, though? You're married again. I have remarried um, 34 years. And um, kids are grown. And I uh, live on property that's paid for and running my own farm. So basically I come full circle only because that's nice. what I wanted. And that's how I, yeah. at the time I didn't like farming because I had to do a lot of work and it was hard work and I didn't know that you could enjoy it, mm -hmm. but I like animals. My, I grew up yeah. on a farm with cattle. I didn't want cattle because I figured, uh, eh, I don't want something big enough that can trample me to death or gore me. So I settled for goats. I can wrestle a goat to the ground, no problem. So they <laughs> love me. I love goats. You know, I raise goats now. That's what I do. I uh, yeah. I was always one to, people were always telling me I couldn't do something. So, of course, in my stubborn little mind, mm -hmm. oh, well, then I'll go do that. So it was reverse psychology. The same way. <laughs> so how is life nowadays? In spite of all the other garbage that happened, I'm, I think it's pretty good. Good. That's good. So I always end with a question. What would you like struggling adoptees to know? Even back when I was adopted, I, I was adopted at two and a half. I had nightmares. On the surface, I was the happy, cute little toddler, but at night, it's all health, health broke, broke loose. I, I had nightmares for months. 
My adoptive mm. mother told me, well, the, the nightmare stopped when you're about four. Oh, thanks for letting me know. A nightmare for my life. Right. So, and there was no counseling, no transition period. There was nothing supportive in that situation. Yeah. It may have been better if I had just been adopted it as an infant and just said, okay, you know, let's put her in foster care. And my foster parents wanted to adopt me, but they weren't allowed to. Oh, wow. They were the only family I knew, the only people I loved, and the only people that loved me. And that kind of put a wrecking ball to, you know, the foundation of my life and everything else from there. How did you find that out that they wanted to adopt you? Again, the narratives that the social workers wrote. Mm. And in fact, it was even not allowed for my foster mother to make contact for my parents, my adopted parents to transition with me. So in the bag of clothes that my foster mother sent, she wrote a five-page letter to my adopted mother. And said she likes the cold cereal with milk. She doesn't like the hot cereal. She sleeps with this blanket sent with me. She can be really stubborn, but if you talk to her, she'll understand. I mean, a whole, yeah, absolutely forbidden who got in a lot of trouble, but she loved me and wanted the best for me. So she did try. Yeah. But they weren't allowed. They weren't allowed to do that. I mean, that's just stupid. Yeah. Did not help with the transition. I wonder why they didn't allow them to adopt you. They felt that I should be an only child. Oh, and they had children already in the home. They had like teenagers. Mm. They were a full on foster family. So there was another little boy my age in the foster home. They just thought they were kind of older parents and couldn't cope with having me as a they couldn't yeah. handle the social workers felt that I was a hard to handle child wow and I needed the attention of a close-knit family that could devote all their time to mm-hmm. me and not be yeah scattered my my mother who had a career worked in a law office she had to quit her job. I think there's a lot of the reason why we never got along. I think she resented having to give up so much for this bratty little kid that she didn't even like. My dad was a full-time farmer, so he wasn't going to quit his job. Yeah. That's what put the food on the table. So my mom gave up a career. She had to stay home. My mother was a career woman who was going to take care of the kid. Well, back then, somebody had to be a stay-at-home parent yeah and it was another so I don't think that anybody realized the dynamics of personality clashes was gonna Mm -hmm. they didn't feel like a two and a half year old kid was gonna have an opinion or care or could be molded yeah or whatever their their ideas of raising children back then was they should be seen and not heard they can just be treated this way and raised a certain way and they're just going to turn out just the way you want them and all I needed was a little bit of attention right and I got it yeah so that's okay I mean I'm I'm I will say again what I do want overall adopted children to know that 
don't fantasize about what it could have been because it could have been a lot worse. Mm. See, my mother was mentally ill. My biological father was a child molester. I didn't know, but I have four siblings that are prime examples of what it could have been Mm -hmm. a drug abuser or somebody that can't, you know, I'm the only one of the four siblings that's married. Oh, wow. That has a long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. They've all been divorced many times, several times. My youngest sister, her name's Cindy. uh, She couldn't keep her oldest daughter because of her drug abuse. So she let her parents, my dad and his wife, raise her oldest child. And then when she was visiting, her name was Danny Joe, found pills that Cindy had and took them and overdosed and died. Um, so I have a niece I'll never meet yeah what could have my life been like you don't want to just beat yourself up trying to trying to go into the what ifs and what ifs could have should have yeah not worth it just make your life now the best that you can do make it the best life you can make it make good choices and do it over and over and over again yeah for the sake of your sanity that's pretty much it even though it was a painful adoption story. And I just thank you for telling it because there is somebody out there that's had a similar experience and needs to hear that they're not alone in that. So I thank you for, you know, retelling your story. And I I know it's not easy, but I thank you for helping educate the adoption community and helping get the word out about what really can happen. I hope I didn't make a difference. I'm sure you did. Thank you. Again, I just want to thank Christy for coming on and telling such a heart-wrenching story. And I know for some of you, this was probably a difficult one to listen to, but these are the facts of adoption. When I started to do my podcast and pivoted to adoption, one of the things I promised to myself and the adoptee community was that I was going to allow adoptees to tell their story the way they experienced it, no matter how hard it is to listen to. So thank you again, Christy, for coming on Mind Your Own Karma. I know your story is in the shape of somebody else's wound out there that is listening. And you have just helped validate their story by telling yours. If you would like your story to help validate another adoptee, get in touch with me at mindyourownkarma at gmail.com and let's get your story on the podcast. As always, take what you need and leave what you don't. And always remember to mind your own karma. I'll see you next time.